if there's an idea I have that just keeps me awake at night because I'm, I just wanted to exist in the world and I know it would bring me joy and maybe two more people in the world that I know, then I just have to create that because the process in itself for me is pure joy and it's exciting. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Role Models Podcast, a podcast where we host candid conversations with inspiring women about their personal journeys, career histories, and all the valuable lessons and learnings they've picked up along the way. My name is David Noel, and I'm one of the two co-founders of Role Models, which is a series of events and podcasts, this very English-speaking podcast, and also a brand new German-speaking podcast that I started with my friend and co-founder, Isabel. Today's episode, I'm speaking to Tina Roth-Eisenberg, who you might better know by her blog and online name, Swiss Miss. Tina started Swiss Miss back in 2005 as a personal visual archive and then watched it grow into one of the internet's most popular design blogs with more than a million visitors per month. Tina then set up a variety of side projects and turned those into successful businesses in their own right. This includes a global monthly lecture series called Creative Mornings, a to-do app called To-Do, and then a temporary tattoo company called Tatly, and of course, the co-working space that she runs in New York City called Friends Work Here. One of the things that I personally took away from my conversation with Tina was her philosophy to do things for the joy of the process instead of the outcome. And she offers us many practical tips on how we can follow our passions and turn them into businesses if we want to. Some of the nuggets of wisdom that Tina shares with us include how to connect your personal and your professional goals, or the story of how she and a group of volunteers turned creative mornings from a local event into a global movement and community of tens of thousands of people who are active in over 80 cities around the world. And she talks about how we can overcome hesitation. If you are a manager or a leader who hires people, make sure to catch Tina's favorite questions that she loves to ask every new team member that she wants to bring on to her team. And Tina also defined five personal rules on how she lives her life, and she shares some of those rules with us. Defining personal rules is something I love, and I would definitely try this out, and I hope you will too. Shout out to our patrons for this episode. Megan Coyne is a general partner at Spark Capital. She supports the organization Co2040.org. And Anna Carolina is a coach based out of Berlin. You can read more about her work on truthcircles.com. They both support this podcast alongside many other patrons on patreon.com slash role models. This is the Role Models Podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy this episode with Tina Roth-Eisenberg, who's also known as Swiss Miss. Tina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you know what? I'm so excited to have you to be our guest on this podcast. And I want to share with you, uh, you haven't heard this, and with our audience, uh, why I'm so excited. And I want to take you back to April 26, 2017, which is a little over a year ago. And I was in New York City. I was just starting off to pre-record and pre-produce episodes and interviews for the Role Models podcast. We launched it on May 9th, so there were a few more days to go until we put out the first episode. And I was um, hanging out on Twitter late night, and um, and I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet from you, and I want to quote it. Okay. Uh, you said, um, 
quote, help people make their projects better instead of just hating on them. Help build versus destroy, unquote. Oh, man. And yes, wanna, that's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. And I want to start off there because for me, this tweet came at a perfect moment. I hadn't, we hadn't put out our project yet. Uh, the podcast, we hadn't, we had, uh, we didn't have it uh, out there by the time you tweeted it, but it was a really great refresher and reminder for how to look at projects that, you know, sometimes when you start something, a project like this, where you're not sure where it's going to lead, that you're putting out, you're making yourself very vulnerable and you don't quite know how people are going to respond to it. So I would love to jump off this conversation by first thanking you for your time and for <laughs> thanking you for uh, tweeting this at the time, because that's that's the day I decided I wanted to invite you to be on the podcast. And I'm happy that's that amazing. it's finally happening. <laughs> <laughs> so um, can you talk a little bit, you said it's a big one. Do you? Can you talk a bit about... about um, this this statement you made and and how you think about this in general yeah oh yes oh wow how much time do you have um so i'm you know i grew up in switzerland on the swiss countryside and was always one of those kids that had a gazillion ideas a lot of like wanting to do things and and i did do a lot of things while i lived in switzerland but i i felt as i was constantly hitting the brakes because I was just too much for everyone around me. And what I would hear consistently is like, oh, that's not going to work. Why would you want to risk doing that? Like the sort of this nagging and not being fully supportive. And I just thought that's how the world operates. And I'm just a bit too optimistic and too gung-ho to create and make. And and then I, <clears throat> in 2006, I, no, in 1999, I moved to New York for what was supposed to be a three-month internship. And I will never forget um, the first time I kind of hung out with a few folks that I met, uh, I got an internship and then I, you know, I started making friends. And I remember my, my English was really bad at the time, so that wasn't helping. But I remember sitting there and sort of cobbling together these sentences of an idea I had for a project. And these people that I didn't even know sort of looked at me, he's like, hey, I know someone who can help you. Let me connect you. And, and have you thought of this? And instead of kind of just going like, meh, they were all fueling this idea I had and, and were cheering me on. And then I realized, wow, that's how New York City operates. Like if you're someone who has ideas and puts them out there, like it, it's it just kind of catches on fire and people will help you. And then this was sort of this recurring theme that really fueled my love for living here in New York City. And then in um, 2008, I started my own co-working space. And this was before co-working spaces were a thing like they are now. And not realizing that I was about to su surround myself with rocket fuel for my creative doing. So I what started out in a small room has grown to in the end of a group of 65 incredibly talented, smart, creative uh, humans that on a daily basis um, encouraged each other to, you know, set the bar really high in the projects and ideas we had and supported each other in executing on them. And and I feel like that's really what it comes down to in life, to surround yourself with the people that will encourage you and from the heart support you and 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 kind and are kind. I mean, it's totally cool that you tell me that my idea sucks. Just, you know, say it in a way that you don't just hate on me. I, I have a really, really, I'm a very sensitive person. I'm a total feeler. And whenever I see the hating that's going down in our industry, it literally hurts me to the bone. And, and I feel like just... And, 
there's always a human on the other side. That's what I always tell everyone. That's what I tell my children. It's like, you know, it's totally cool that you don't like something or it really kind of isn't insulting you, whatever. That's fine. But just you know, just be really careful in how you phrase your discontent because there's a human on the other side and maybe to them this means a lot. And have, they put – yeah. Do you have an example for how to give good advice or feedback around a creative project? Oh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a big question. I just always try when somebody else has an idea, what, you know, a lot of people come to me now and think, oh, Tina has it all figured out. She has started all these companies and whatever. She must know the answer to my problem or like, like you, for example, you know, in our earlier conversation before we recorded, I don't have the solutions to what you're trying to do. All I can do is listen to what you where you want to go and say like listen i just have my data points that i can give you a reference point to but i don't know what's going on in your head i don't know what you're capable of i've been told over and over in my life that what i'm trying to do here is simply not possible but that's people told me that from their point of view from what they have learned in their life and from what they would be capable of they don't know what i was like you know so i'm just trying to always be really really careful in saying listen I will probably, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to give advice with data points that I have uh, accumulated over my life and then say, but you know what, just take this with a grain of salt because you are your own person and you have your own way of thinking and going about things and you might pull this off in a way that blows me out of, you know, blows me away. I don't know if this makes sense. You mentioned that you left um, the Swiss countryside in 1999 for an internship in New York City. Can you take us behind the scenes of that of that transition? Because the Swiss countryside to New York City, that's a big step. Uh, uh, oh, well, that was Munich in between. Munich Geneva in between. and Munich. But, but still, I, I, at my heart, I was still a very naive country girl. So I grew up in a small town as well. And for me, moving to Cologne was a, was a huge step, even though it's, Cologne is quite of a small city when, you, when I look back at it. How, how was it for you to leave, leave home uh, and via Munich and Geneva end up in, in, in New York City, where you still live? Oh, I was ready. <laughs> I was ready at 16. <laughs> Why? I just, again, I had so much curiosity in me and so much hunger for meeting humans and, and, uh, and you know, it all happened at the right time. But, I mean, I tried to move to New York and when I was 20, but my parents were like, ah, art school in New York, no. And, <clears throat> Sorry. It was actually really funny because I, I, you know, the school system in Europe is a bit different. So, but I graduated at 20 and then I tried to make a pitch to my parents that I wanted to go to Parsons School of Art in New York. And they were like, uh, you know, and I get it. Now I'm a parent. I get it. They were too worried and whatever. But they said no. And they said, if you want to go to art school, it has to be in Switzerland. So I picked the furthest city away in Switzerland, Geneva. It's adorable. It's like four hours by train. Not very far. And, uh, and then... And then I, uh, I studied graphic design in Munich. And then I basically told them, listen, I am 26 now. I save money. I am going to New York. It wasn't really an asking anymore. And they were cool with it. And then a few years later, after me staying in New York, I started teaching at Parsons. And I remember sending this email to my dad. It really went down like sugar, like honey. I said, dad, remember when I wanted to move to New York when I was 20? guess where I'm teaching now at that school? And he was just wrote back, touche. <laughs> so I, I, I think some people are just ready. They just know. And, and 
I always tell my children, like I'm mentally preparing for them going on a trip somewhere and just feeling home because that's what happened to me. I, I just happened to pass through New York for three days in 1998 and I visited my friend that lived here for a short time. And I, on the second day, <laughs> he showed me around and on the second day he looked at me, he's like, Tina, if you say I need to live here one more time, I'm going to just leave you here. Like I just can't hear it one more time. I, I, I hear you. You want to live in New York one day, just stop saying it repeatedly. But apparently, like, I just had such a physical reaction to the city and to the energy and to the people that I just knew. And I always tried to tell my children, it's like, you know, one day this might happen to you. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in past lives. I just know I've lived here before. I just felt I came home. I've never had a, sen a sense of belonging and home like I have in New York. And uh, I always tell people, go travel because maybe you'll discover yours. So if, you're in, if, if in your past life you've lived in New York City, what, was, what did you do in your past life in New York City? Um, well, uh, I, I think I was entrepreneurial as well. There's some stories. I mean, I've had some readings that I ran my own businesses here as well. So where I is definitely this, had a um, coming home. Where's this entrepreneurial uh, gene or maybe anchor? Where's this placed? Where where do you put that? Uh, what do you mean? Where, do, where is it coming from? Yeah. Um, well, I grew up with two totally badass entrepreneurial parents. Uh, and uh, I I don't know if you have children, but I have a 12-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son. And I always remind myself that there's nothing more powerful to children, I think, than modeling. Again, being a role model, as the name of your podcast. And it didn't, I, I didn't realize just how much my parents influenced me by me just watching them, you know, coming home, talking about them solving problems at work, or just, you know, being daring. And my dad, I mean, my dad, for example, he I really love this. And, and in hindsight, it took me a long time to understand actually how cool that was. He was a real estate agent and was, uh, had one of the best, uh, like there was a, there was a, a real need for, um, what do you call it? Commercial real estate. And that there wasn't enough on the market. And that was in, when I was about 11 or 10 and uh, Apple was really pounding him because he had the best office space, like in a new building available. And I remember this was Christmas when I was 11 He came home right before Christmas with a new Macintosh SE, and he was already a nerd. He had DOS machines, but he just understood when he heard of this company, Apple, and they told him, like, listen, if you give us the space, we give you an Apple SE. He's <laughs> like, nerd, dad, of course, done deal. And he came home with this machine, and he sat there, and he just knew what was about to happen in the personal computer space, stopped his real estate agency, and started the first computer school where you could learn how to use a, an Apple computer, and then was the first uh, person publishing a, a magazine in Switzerland, a, a Macintosh magazine. It was called Macintosh. And that's just remarkable in hindsight. When you're 11, you don't understand the risk he took or all the things he had to figure out and, and just, you know, and market himself. And, and, and he did it. And in hindsight, I think he just as a kid, you absorb that. And in some way, I always knew eventually I will run my own company. It just never occurred to me that, you know, I could have started it way sooner than when I did. <laughs> But it was never a question that eventually, you know, I will, I will run my own team. My dad's first Apple computer was a Macintosh SE as well. So that's the first Ooh. computer I got to work with. Uh, at Did our, you play Frogger? We didn't have Frogger. We had a Ninja. We had some Ninja, pro, like a Ninja game. 
uh, with two, two ninjas. Uh, yes. Like, yeah, yes. <laughs> very funny game. Uh, so you were influenced by, uh, by your surroundings back in Switzerland, by your two entrepreneurial parents. You try to be a role model also to your two children, 12 and eight years old. What is something you, what is something, how, how do they uh, experience you as a role model? Um, when it comes to running a business, building a business, being entrepreneurial? Well, you should probably ask them, but I can only tell you what I hope I instill in them. <laughs> um, it's interesting. My, my 12-year-old is really I'm, – I'm starting to see the things she realizes and picks up because she also mentions them to me. Uh, but, for example, the first thing that makes me so happy is that they love coming to my office. They love hanging out at my work. I mean – I think that's the first step in because I mean it's a fun environment. I'm a big believer that uh, work should be joyful, and and there's a lot of silliness going down in my office. There's a lot of laughing. We have a lot of silly props in our office. I mean it's just I think for a kid. I mean we have a swing. We have you know it's just there's a, there's an element of play. There's a, there's playfulness in our work environment that <clears throat> I think kids really tune in on. Whenever she, my friend uh, my my kids bring friends over, they kind of they look at me or they look at them and say like, "This is your mom's office. Are you for real?" And that to me is is the first step in really teaching them that you know work should be a place where you love going to and where you're having a good time and you also work hard. And uh, I always say that because uh, I mean my kids were really fortunate. I was able to bring them to uh, other work environments that are very unusual. I remember when I took my son to Mailchimp with me in, in Atlanta. And Mailchimp is one of the companies that I admire the most, I would say, right now. Um, and I remember walking in with him, and it's just a stunning office to begin with. But then there was Big Giant Freddy, their mascot. They have like this, you know, this um, this thing that you can wear. Like, what do, what do you call that? Like a huge giant mascot. Like you step into it, as you know, and then it walks around. And as we arrive, and I've, it's always been my dream to see Big Freddy. As we arrive, as I arrive from my seven-year-old son – They're just about to put the head on this dude. And my son's eyes nearly like popped out of his head. And he says, it's Freddy. And I said, Tilo, this is not a normal office. Like mommy's office is not normal. This is not normal. <laughs> so one day they will probably go and do an internship somewhere in a normal maybe boring, cubicle, not pleasant environment. And, and I can't wait for that day when they come home and go like, Mom, what the heck is that? Like, <laughs> There's a different world in offices out there? <laughs> yes. what, what is something about MailChimp? You said that, uh, that MailChimp is a company that admires you. And I think for – can you briefly describe for people listening to this who don't know what MailChimp is and, and what is it that you admire about this company? Oh, oh my God, uh, so much. Well – Uh, let me just tell you how my relationship with them started and how I became aware of them. Uh, in nine and a half years ago, when I was running Creative Mornings just in New York by myself, a total labor of love for my creative community in New York, uh, I remember getting this email from this man, Ben Chestnut, which I later found out is the co-founder of MailChimp. And he basically just wrote, Tina, we, my team and I, we love what you do. Can And Like we, we think it's great. Can we support you in any way? What can we do? Can we support you? Um, and I remember emailing him back and going, well, do you want to uh, sponsor our New York event? I'd never thought of that. And then he's, he started sponsoring uh, – MailChimp started sponsoring our New York Creative Mornings events and has been supporting us in the most generous – 
way you can only think of uh, ever since. I mean, generous in spirit and just like with a true love of supporting the creative community. And I have since then seen how, I mean, I call MailChimp the patron of the creative world here. I mean, maybe it's just a New York pocket or America pocket. I don't know what it's, how it's perceived in Europe. But the amount of people around me that create interesting things, that have a cool idea for a project, that run conferences, that would approach MailChimp and pitch them and say, like, here's what we're after. Here's what we want to do for the creative community. And MailChimp supporting them without you know, asking to have 15,000 banners hang up and whatever, like the, 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 this generosity in supporting other people doing creative things that uh, that MailChimp has sort of um, extended into this world has always amazed me. And, and over the last nine and a half years, I've, I've, I've become friends with Ben and 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 a lot of the t- people that have met a lot of the people at, at MailChimp. And he's grown this business into an incredible, like what 700 people company they were just named uh, 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 best company of 2017 last year or this year I forget by Inc magazine and what I have seen happen and I've if you should watch Ben Chestnut's talk and how he runs the company like the playfulness and kindness and uh, the way he he has scaled his company to the point where I haven't yet to meet someone <laughs> who is not completely humble heart forward and kind, no matter what level they're in in this company. That to me is, is a real art form as someone who is running companies, to me, creating work environments that are so incredibly wholesome and from the heart. That to me is is a work of art. That definitely sounds like something to emulate. You mentioned <laughs> uh, creative mornings. And so maybe that's a good good um, good segue into into the world of your work and and also life because it sounds like it appears to me uh, from you know the videos the talks you give uh, in various contexts various settings that um, that your life and work are really integrated that they're they're not really separated uh, and that even uh, your children seem to be an inspiration for uh, making choices in your work life, which I would love to to hear more about. But can you can you share a little bit for people who are less aware for who you are and you're known as Swiss Miss as well. And this is, I think, mm-hmm. your bit of a um, like an artist name, if I can, mm-hmm. I say so. Yeah. Can you yeah. can you describe um, a bit like your the the different projects that you're involved with, which have turned into businesses? Sure. Um, yeah. So. I'm a trained graphic designer and that's what I did when I moved to New York and I worked in various companies. And uh, at some point I started a blog actually 13 years ago and I needed a name for it. And when you're a young woman in New York, everybody calls you Swiss Miss. So I just named it Swiss Miss. And that has gained quite a bit of popularity. And that's been sort of the jumping board for a lot of things afterwards. But so I, the first thing that I was kind of known for was my design blog. And then uh, in as, as you mentioned, the, my kids have been a real turning point in my career, and I, I'm always happy when I realize I can inspire women to understand that having children is not necessarily the end of your career. With me, it was actually the complete, complete opposite. Uh, I decided the day when my daughter was born to finally start my own business and my start my first design studio, and uh, she has literally been the catalyst in my in my life when it comes to like I, I just felt all of a sudden this urgency of taking this all a bit more seriously and not waiting to you know follow my dreams and I always wanted to run my own design studio so when my daughter was born I started my design studio and 
then started my co-working space because I just needed that work environment with other inspiring people. And to be honest, my co-working space, Friends Work Here, has been the 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 smartest thing I've ever done in my entire life because I call it my happy place. I'm surrounded by such incredibly smart uh, kind, uh, creative humans. You have to be in a creative environment in order to join our small community. So there was that. And then, um, when my son was born, I did the same thing again. I was like, what could I change in my life? And I realized when my son was born, I really don't want to have clients. So I went on a one year client sabbatical, which was uh, made possible because my blog made quite a bit of money. I was in a very fortunate place. So, and in that year of magical thinking, uh, I, it was amazing what happens when all of a sudden, if you're a creative person, but you're not solving other people's problems, I just gave my own idea space. And what happened is that I started a to-do app, which fuels my life and keeps me organized. It's called To-Do, uh, which t- the second day we launched, or actually the day we launched, a fast company called it the best to-do app of 2010. We were not prepared for that, but that was amazing. Uh, I started a temporary tattoo company called Tatley in 2011 because I was just so annoyed by the temporary tattoos my daughter would bring home. And I figured, you know, I can make that better. And then that very organically, because it was more a side project, turned into a big company. We have like 10 employees now. We ship around the world. We just got into Starbucks. I always am amazed how how accidentally you can create a business. Uh, are you still with me? Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like I keep, keep going, going on. Keep going, keep going. Oh, wait, and I forgot. In 2008, I uh, I started Creative Mornings. Um, I jumped around there a bit. But in 2008, I started Creative Mornings uh, because I realized how incredible it was to be surrounded with my coworkers and, and my co-working space every day and how, ins- how they inspired me. And I realized and thought back to the time when I first moved to New York and I didn't know a soul and it was so hard for me to find my people. Like I basically created the community I wish that existed when I first moved here. And it was a simple concept, just one Friday morning, I'm going to open the doors in my studio. I'll have a a 20 minute talk, free breakfast, and I'll just invite in the creative community of New York. And that caught on fire. And for two years, I ran it in New York by myself. And, you know, all these agencies said, come on, bring your people here. And it was really lovely and so grassroots and so just, uh, you know, scrappy. And then I started growing it around the world. And now we're in 185 cities, 65 countries. It's a labor of love. It's an engine of generosity. Uh, and it's probably um, the thing I'm the most proud of besides my kits that I've ever built. Absolutely amazing. Um, the, I have so many questions because we have, <laughs> we have like, I think when we take count, there's five, six projects, uh, companies, well, however you define it, that have emerged from partially you know, side projects or the, or the need of wanting to, to create community around yourself. How do you... How do you choose where to spend your time? Uh, how do how to organize your time around these different uh, endeavors? Uh, well, um, it always that's always a question I get. But I mean, for example, <clears throat> to do that is that is sort of runs itself. We you know that that doesn't take a lot of my time. My co working space. I have an amazing studio manager that that runs. I mean, she takes care of that. <clears throat> uh, what takes most of my time is definitely Tatley and 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 Creative Mornings. And actually, we just built 
uh, we basically just launched a new project slash company within Creative Mornings called the Creative Guild. So a lot of my focus is within that right now. Um, but the cool thing I must say is because I have started all of these things, all of these businesses, um, while multitasking, I feel like that just from the very beginning set the tone of my teams that I, on on one hand, had to just trust them a lot and just let them make decisions. And they had to get used to the fact that I will not sign off on everything and that I just trust them and they can move ahead. So which I honestly, in hindsight, think that these projects are better or have flourished the way they have because my teams were able to bring themselves into it uh, in a way that maybe if if I would have run just one project with this incredible like sort of like this needs to like with this pressure of this needs to work and pay off and it needs to be perfect. Like I, f- I feel like the lightness that comes with sort of starting projects, more of side projects and the playfulness is actually something people feel. And, and also when you start something that is not necessarily, you don't start it with the, with the main purpose of it paying your rent and you making you rich there's there's an incredible innocence and an energy around the project that people pick up more than ever i think because right now there's i feel like there's such a everything that like you're constantly being pitched and and i just i i can't walk around or surf the web anymore without constantly feeling bombarded by just highly venture backed companies that want my business <laughs> and i i I'm, I'm actually personally really looking for these more innocent um, humble beginnings and and I want to put my money and, and support those humans at this point like I I just really feel like we're ready to tune into that a bit more now you're the perfect role model for showing to the world that you can turn a side project into a business and and then take it even further where you start delegating you start hiring a team identifying talent bringing the talent on trusting them to to run the business to let go of it so i think that's a that's an amazing uh, accomplishment and for, for people in, for people listening to this who have an itch of an idea or have an urge who are uncomfortable of where they're out in their full-time job and have an idea of turning something maybe a a, a creative project or an idea um uh, a venture into 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 a business can you take us behind the scenes of your own thinking of how you uh, turn a side project into something that eventually allows 10 people, 12 people, 15 mm. people to, to make a living um, off of that business? Yeah, well, you got to understand all of these things took a long time. I mean, Creative Mornings is 10 years old, totally seven years old. Um, all of these things I mean, the first first off, I tell people just you got to be in it and you got to be in it on the long haul. Uh, all of these things grew really, really slow and very organically. The thing that I always say is that I I never launched into any of these things full on uh, and putting all of my eggs in one basket. I have always diversified my risk. Um, if you have an idea for a side project or, or if you're running a side project and, and you still have your job, that is cool. Maybe at some point, if you feel like you can sl- slowly but surely transition more into side project becoming a business, maybe you cut it down to f- your job to four days a week or three days a week. It's totally okay to slowly transition into it. But the one thing I've noticed in my life is that whenever I set my mind to something becoming more than just a labor of love, 
If I said, I really want this to start making money and I poured more attention and time into it, in some way, the universe delivered. Like I have many stories where all of a sudden, you know, somebody will come up to me and say, just for example, Tatley, I remember we were, what, like we were two days in business and I got a call from Tate Modern, the buyer, asking me for a wholesale catalog. Tatley was a joke. Like I thought, yeah, whatever, we're going to send out maybe 50 orders a month and it's just fun to support my my artist friends. But the second day in business, the universe sent me a sign saying, hey, Tina, you need to take this more seriously because the Tate Modern Shop in London wants to actually carry this product. So I took that as, okay, Tina, you got to listen and pay attention to this. So now you, Tina, now you start make packaging and now you take this more seriously, right? So that was the first sign. Or we were six months old and I got a call from the head of marketing at the Brooklyn Brewery and said, can you come in and meet with me? And I was like, sure. And I'm sitting in this meeting and he goes, listen, I've done temporary tattoos before. I know where to get them, but I want to, I want them to say tatly on the back. So can you make custom tattoos for us? And sitting there, the custom department of tatly was born. And again, I listened. I was like, oh, okay, I get it there. It didn't occur to me that we could sell you know, custom tattoos for, but that meeting was then the stepping stone of now we're starting to do this and offering this. And I feel like sometimes that all we have to do is just pay attention to what comes our way. And if it's just a sign to, you know, take, you know, take it into the direction. I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, I just read this. um, I'm, I'm just listening to this book by Michael Singer, the, the surrender experiment and it's it's speaking to that that you, sometimes you just need to surrender to what the life life brings you and just pay attention to that and i feel like the same is with with side projects when you when there's some when you have created something that is a real labor of love and people and you can tell if people respond to it and there's positive feedback just p- keep pouring a bit more energy and a bit more love into it and i i'm i'm convinced that eventually doors will open to for you to step into that becoming more of a you know uh, a business or maybe support you. How do you overcome hesitation? You know, these moments when you, you have an idea and you know, okay, all it takes to take the first step and, um, and I don't have to figure it out all the way through right away from the beginning, but, um, I don't know how it's with you, but I, I'm often surrounded by people who have great ideas, who have an impulse, uh, to, to start off something, but there's a slight hesitation there. How, how do you, what advice do you have for people who, who to to cross that barrier of hesitation yeah well maybe examine what the hesitation is about is it a fear of failing is it i mean just be really really honest with yourself the thing that i just always had and i hope i can instill in my kids is that if there's an idea i have that just keeps me awake at night because i'm i just wanted to exist in the world and i know it would bring me joy and maybe two more people in the world that i know then I just have to create that because the process in itself for me is pure joy and it's exciting. And, and I feel like sometimes maybe we just need to just um, think of it in a much smaller scale. If, if some of your friends have hesitation around something, just maybe tell yourself, I'm just making this for myself and for the joy of the process. And because I'm learning something while I'm doing it and shut out the rest of the world. Don't worry about what anyone's going to think or if it could fail. Because if you, if you scale it down to this teeny tiny project that you're just creating for yourself, then what, what do you have to lose? Right. I love the enjoying of the process rather than, than the outcome. I think it's a big, big part of it uh, to, to get going. 
Um, t- I want to stay stay with Tatley for a little bit because one of the things that you mentioned uh, in the talk that you gave that I watched on video while preparing for this is that you work with creators and designers to to design these custom tattoos and that uh, it was important for you um, from the beginning to share back with those creators. And I heard you uh, mention the sum of, and I hope I got it right, of a million dollars shared back with those creators. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about the thinking behind uh, behind this this um, you know yep. it's like royalties or whatever you call it, right? Yep. Um, can can you can you share a little bit about about your thinking um, about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned, I started Tatley out of my frustration that my daughter would bring home really ugly poorly designed temporary tattoos that were an insult to my Swiss aesthetic. And then I, I have this personal rule that if I keep complaining about something repeatedly, I have two options, either do something about it or let it go. And I remember when I thought, you know, I'm a web designer. I have an incredible network of illustrator friends and artist friends. It sort of hit me. It was like, I can create a small website, an e-commerce site, and ask my friends if they want to create really cool temporary tattoos. And then I can wear them and my daughter can wear them and we're all happy. So when I did that and I reached out to my artist friends, I realized, and I've talked to them a lot about this, is like that the licensing world seems really, really broken. Like I would see some of them and they're incredibly talented. They would tell me that uh, these stories of giant brands coming to them, licensing some incredible art, turning around, printing it on a gazillion sheets and towels and whatever, and they make millions. And my friend made a teeny tiny amount. So when I started Tatley, I realized, you know what? I, I always look at businesses as a way of having positive impact in the world. And what my one positive impact with with Tatley from the beginning was that A, I want people to understand that as an as a creative person you can make a living. And B, I want uh our um our illustrators and artists to be compensated um uh generously. And also if a design is really uh successful, they should make more money. So what we did is like we set up a licensing agreement that was very generous from the beginning. And uh and and we have some artists that I mean, it totally freed them up. It's like, I believe that um, passive income is the magic sauce of a creative life. And I have some of our artists who have like 80, 90 tattoos designs. I know for a fact that they, because of the Tatley royalties, were freed up to create other things and take time to, you know, really um, spend time on new projects because of the royalties that I was able to pay out. So last year, when we turned six, we we reached a million in artist royalties paid out of the last six years. And I am so proud of that. And, and it's something that we, and it, it's something that is important to me because I, when people go to, to look at a packaging or go to a Tatley website, we celebrate our artists and, and have them prominently featured. And when you click through to their website, I just want people and young, especially young people to understand that you can make a living, living a creative life. That was something that my parents were so afraid of. And I get it. They had, you know, the best intentions with making sure I will live a successful life. But when I told them that I wanted to become a graphic designer, I mean, they were afraid that I will starve. <laughs> I will not be able to make a living. And, you know, and I, it took just a lot of stubbornness on my end. And then eventually when I had a job in New York, and granted, I didn't make a lot of money, but I supported myself. And my dad said, listen, you proved me wrong. So there's, yeah, that was a long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> it's great. I want to build on one of the things that you said, that you said that passive income is the secret sauce of a creative life. How? Yeah. What's your favorite way of... of- 
generating passive income or do you have advice for how to generate passive income? Well, people ask me that a lot. And I, I think there's just so many ways, you know, be it that you trade stocks, which I don't and I have no idea how to do it. But I mean, there's so many different ways. With me, it ended up being my blog and my blog making money and all happened very organically. But I mean, the, my blog income has, has freed me up to be more courageous and try new things and, and Without that, I don't think I would have started as many companies as I did. So I feel like everyone needs to figure out what can be your version of passing income. Is Are you selling something that is easily replicable and you can easily ship out? I don't know. There, um, I, I don't think there's one, one answer fits all, but there are ways. And if you're smart about it, I always feel like the smartest thing I've always done is that I dis diversified my income streams. Uh, that and I still to this day. I mean, I have different buckets. You know, I run different companies, and and uh, personally, that makes me feel uh, much calmer than if I had all of the eggs in one basket. Um, Creative Mornings is is an impressive accomplishment as well. Like something that was born of the frustration or the need of wanting to uh, to to connect. Uh, in in a new city and and out of the need of of wanting to build a community around yourself, and has grown to something that is now uh, available in sixty countries. Um, I think the the last number I heard you mention was that there are about twenty thousand people come together worldwide Ever. on Fridays. That's amazing. Can you talk a little bit about the? process of building a community right like my first mm -hmm. job at soundcloud was community manager and then i was a vp community and helped grow the community from fifty thousand users to over 50 million at the time and but that was purely online right and for you it's it's an it's offline events they're free people come uh to these events every friday and um and and so there's, there's much more effort involved and much more support also from humans on the ground uh involved mm -hmm. so how do you How did you get this to something that is that had such a scale and an impact in the world that involves you know thousands of people who help organize these events? Yeah. Um, first of all, oh my God, community! What a buzzword these days! It drives me freaking bananas. Agreed. <laughs> uh, every every business thinks thinks they have to build a community around their product. It's not the case. But anyway, that's a tangent. Um, I agree. This is for uh, round two of our interview. We're going yeah, exactly. to do a second <laughs> round on that. <laughs> um, yes, creating warnings. I'm always really humbled by what it has turned into. And um, I get this question a lot on how did you build this? Again, creative warnings is turning 10 this year. This has been a long, long patient process. But I can just tell you, I think what happened when I started in New York is that I just believed, like, I really believe that um, real connections are made in person and not behind a screen. And more than ever, I do believe people crave in-person events. And in-person events, they're not pitching you something and that doesn't don't cost a gazillion dollars that are just, just generous. Like, I feel like there is a lack of just generous gatherings of people that are kind and have sort of the same values. And I think that's what really creative mornings, where creative mornings hits a nerve, hit a nerve. Because I, from the beginning, I said, I want to have them in the morning because there's too much competition in New York in the evening, which people told me nobody will show up, show up at 8.30. And I was like, you tell me it's not going to work. I'm going to prove you wrong. And I said, I want to keep them free. And people have fought me on that for so long. And I said, and 
And I've always said, no, but that's the component that makes it so beautiful and so innocent. And, uh, and a few years ago, I was able to speak at a very small, intimate conference with very smart, smart people. And one of the people in the room was Bill Uri, who was the co-author of Getting to Yes. And he is one of the most amazing humans I have ever met. And he gave a talk on Creative Mornings. You should look it up. Um, he's a peace mediator in the world. He is such a gentle soul. But anyway, he was sitting there and later came up to me when I, I presented on Creative Mornings and the idea. And you know how sometimes when you build something, you're too close into it that you can actually explain it well. And he came up to me with his like smile on his face. He's such a gentle soul. And said, Tina, do you know why Creative Mornings works and why it took off the way it did. I was like, no, Bill, please tell me. And he said, it is because you based it on non-transactional giving. If you buy a ticket for a concert, you pay money and then you have to, you go and you have the expectation that they deliver and then you go home and then this relationship has ended, right? But when you open the doors the way we do at Creative Mornings and are so generous and welcome people in and you just fill them up and you're and it's just a good experience and there's breakfast and there's a, a generous talk by someone, you know, that and it's completely non-transactional. There's no money exchange. What happens is that people go, this made me feel good and there are really great people here and how can I become part of this? How can I help? After every event, we have a line of people that want to volunteer because exactly we hit that nerve of like, how how can I give back to this? And I think that's what made Creative Mornings grow the way it did because people felt such, when you feel such generosity where nobody pitches you a thing, like how do you not want to be part of that, right? So... Ten, yeah. 10 years of creative mornings uh, every Friday. That's that's impressive. What's the thing that, now looking back and uh, reflecting on those 10 years, what is a, a thing or maybe two or three things that, that you found the most surprising about this undertaking about these 10 years? Well, first of all, I never, I never planned on this to grow beyond New York. Um, I never thought that other people would, literally knock down my door and say, like, let me run this. Um, I am just, in general, a very generous, idealistic person. I, I've always done a lot of things, never even thinking about money. Um, because for the pure joy, again, like just put it, gather, having people gather and having a good time, uh, to me, that fills me up. Um, I love to connect people. So that is my currency. But I, it never occurred to me that there might be other people around the world and now we, that want to do the same thing and also are as idealistic as I am, as in wanting to give back to the creative community. And now we have 185 hosts around the world putting in a good 40 hours a month in organizing these events and going beyond. I mean, just we, we are humbled every month here at Creative Mornings HQ when we see the photos and videos come in and we see these teams putting on like pouring so much love into these events and what we call flair. We constantly feel our butts kicked here in New York. It was like, damn, we need, we need to step it up. <laughs> so I think the biggest epiphany to me was that there's a lot of very uh, generous, hard forward people in the world that just like me believe in, in not everything needs to revolve around money and that there's different currencies. If we sit back together, uh, hopefully not virtually, but at some point also personally, uh, in 10 years, and you look back at the next 10 years uh, of Creative Mornings, what do you see then? Oh, wow. How much time do you have? Um, it, 
yeah, I uh, as I hinted to it before, we just launched what I believe will be the next chapter of Creative Mornings. And uh, I honestly, I, I have a big dream that Creative Mornings will be around in 100 years. And what I'm building now, I think, will help make that happen. So if I can just... So Creative Mornings has it happens once a month in 185 cities, but what I've always felt is like that's just not enough. I, I want people to make connections beyond just those events. And here in New York, for example, we have a wait list of six, seven, eight hundred every month. So that breaks my heart because I'm like, damn, these people want to get together. So I've always been thinking like, how can we amplify this these connections? And and very clearly, we we can do that by moving that to the to the web. So that was one. Um, and the other one is that I personally feel very lost right now online. I don't really know. It's just like I how I didn't know how how, how I could meet my people in real life in New York. Um, I really don't know where my people are online right now. Um, there is not one platform that I feel like respects me and gets me. Um, I'm not a Facebook person. I have a really hard time with the whole algorithm thing and, f- and this feeling of me being the product. Uh, Twitter used to be my place, uh, but it's just become very negative and I have a very hard time with that. So I had sort of this frustration of where where are my people and where can we celebrate each other and where is that that feeling that we have at the creative mornings events that is very uh, supportive and kind and then eventually it hit me it was like wow why don't you just build that place if there is one community that can do that i really feel like it's creative mornings because i have this army of good these 1500 volunteers around the world that will help me uh translate what we have created and learned in 10 years of running creative mornings into a respectful online corner of the world and what we're trying to build right now we're calling it the creative guild is exactly that and we launched the very first portion of what will happen over the next uh, few years uh, uh, a month ago and basically what it is it's the largest directory of creative companies and individuals and just think of it of maybe a bit more soulful soulful LinkedIn for the creative world and the response has been overwhelming it's been amazing we're, we're growing every day and so that directory is the first part so if you consider yourself a creative company it can be just even a solopreneur level uh, we want you on there because what we believe if, if once you sign up there is actually a code of conduct that we make you uh, check off um, we really want to establish this this tone that we have at creative mornings where you're generous and you're you know, you you celebrate others and you you give more than you take. Uh, we really want to translate this to an online world, and the response to that has been amazing. And I feel like it's the right time right now because there's just too many negative things associated on a lot of the platforms right now online. So the Creative Guild is where I think the next ten years of Creative Mornings will really turn this into a resource for the creative world, um, like at large. Yeah, it's going to be really amazing to follow that pursuit uh the you you touched on it already a little bit so the 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 portfolio of companies that you're involved with that you started um are made up by by about 65 people um total so you've become now not only the the starter of an idea and the starter of the business but you also become the person who identifies talent brings people uh into those companies and I heard you uh, give a talk about your favorite um, questions that you use uh, to uh, identify who is a good fit for your company. 
And yeah. I would love for you to take some of them, maybe maybe two or three of your favorite ones to help people understand who are maybe listening to this in our leadership position or have their own businesses and say, I could maybe uh, freshen up my process of how I identify and bring on talent, recruit talent to my company. So what would be your your favorite uh, questions that you asked during a hiring process? Okay, yeah. So I've gotten very obsessed with interview questions and I have a ever-evolving secret list. <laughs> Why did that become important to you, by the way, to, 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 to create this secret list of uh, interview of questions? questions? Well, well, I, I run my companies in such a values-driven um, way that I need to find people that identify with what I do on such a deep level. And I, as you mentioned before, like I, I show up the Tina, like I'm a big believer that there shouldn't be any, there shouldn't be a professional facade and a personal facade. What I want is real authentic humans that, you know, work with me, spend days with me that I just, I just want the real deal. And I want people that sort of share a North star that I have too, and that really, really get what I'm after. I'm incredibly values driven. So I feel like if I have to interview someone and sort of get to the essence of a human, I have to ask questions that, you know, that get to that. And so I've been sort of sh uh, shaving away at my interview question list. And, and I feel like I have it down to, to a few that really get to the core of a human. And I mean, for example, the first one is like, I just simply asking, why are you here? It's so simple, but why are you here? Like, I need to hear someone who's self-aware, who gets what I do, who who sort of identifies with what I do on a deep, deep personal level. Um, and I've been blown away by answers to that question. Um, also, one thing that <clears throat> uh, I always love to ask is, have, uh, tell me about a, a difficult time in your life and what have you learned? Uh, how comfortable are people to open up and, and maybe go a bit personal? It's like I, I'm someone that doesn't hold back. I, you know, I, again, I bring my personal Tina to, to work. And if you're super, super guarded already in an interview, I, I, I'm not saying you need to completely overshare, but just give me a hint of being open. That, that's really important to me. And then, I mean, I have so many, but one that always makes me laugh is, uh, and this is courtesy of my son. Uh, I always ask, uh, would you rather burp glitter or fart confetti? And this is my son's favorite would you rather question. And just a reaction to that question, because if, if that makes you uncomfortable, you can definitely not work with me. Like if that makes you laugh, and <laughs> then we're, we're already, yeah, we're getting there. But because um, I really believe in running a joyful environment. So there, there's just a few questions I feel like that really go down to how comfortable are you to talk about yourself? How self-aware are you? What are you value? What are you after in your life? Are you, do you, because I want to make things I love for people who love them. And I can only do that if I have people that have a fire in their soul as well. So yeah, there's my rant. <laughs> can, can you share, and it's maybe building on one of the questions that you asked, uh, that you like to ask in, in the hiring process is, um, is can you share your favorite or one of your favorite stories of of a time when something didn't work out the way you wanted it to work and uh, in life or or in work um so it, you know it sounds like the 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 breadth of of projects you're involved with seem to all be working really well from the outside um and the way you describe it and i was wondering if you could share maybe a story of when something didn't work out the way you had planned oh yeah there's so many of them I just move on. Uh, see, I look at 
what I do at my life as an like an iterative process, a bit like, you know, industrial designers, they have an, an idea for a product and then they start making prototypes and then you user test it and you start um, improving on it. And I, I kind of feel like that about my life and projects. Uh, let me think. There's many things that didn't work. Um, I mean, this is just a small one, but I, before I started Tatley in that year of magical thinking and taking a, uh, a break from, um, clients i was determined to start an online store with sort of highlighting people i love that make that i've been blogging about uh, that make products that i love but then creating custom products for the swiss miss store limited edition and i spoke to a lot of them and they were gung-ho but then after a while i realized oh my god this is like a sourcing nightmare a shipping nightmare uh, like the more i sort of broke it down into the practicality of it I had to like I, I I think I had about ten products that I sold for a while and it was just a disaster and I just you know I stopped doing it. But then I all of that thinking around e-commerce and stuff has then helped me to uh, dive into Tatley much faster because I've done so much research on you know on shipping and all of that stuff. So it, in the end of the day, even if these things fail, I, I truly always believe that they, you have learned something out of them that helps you in the next thing that you're doing. That sounds like you turned those those lessons into uh, into Tatley as well to learn how to do it and to and how not to do it uh, yeah. into into the new company Tatley. Uh, before we go into the last segment, because time is running so fast, and I feel like my <laughs> my my three pages here are full of follow up notes, but we have to. <laughs> unfortunately, we don't have so much time anymore. Uh, before we go into the last segment, which is a series of questions that we ask every guest, um, I want would love to talk uh, for you to talk about um, your personal. I don't know how to phrase it, but I think you phrase it your personal your your five personal rules that you've talked about uh, mm -hmm. in in a talk, and I really encourage everybody who's listening to this to go onto Swiss Miss, onto your website and in the about section to look up on um, on a few of the talks you've given, which uh, has been my main entertainment for the last uh, past few <laughs> few evenings, which is really great. Uh, but so, so I really love that of saying like, you know, five personal rules uh, is something that I want to definitely, um, you know, take away and start thinking Uh, thinking about more more precisely for myself. So, can you maybe share one or two of those personal rules? Yeah. Um, uh, do I know them all by heart now? Well, fun. I can help is... you. I've, I've in front of that. They're in front of me. I can help you if you if you need. Okay. Okay. Well, one of them is, and this is the rule that I will tell my children is um, be be really thoughtful in who you surround yourself with. Um, that's that was the rule that really came out of my co working space and and just the people that you surround yourself with, they will make you level up. Like if you're really careful, because you are the sum of the dreams around you and the goals around you. So that's, that's one of the biggest one for me. And intent, that comes down to my desire of building intentional community in my life, which is, you know, my co-working space. But in the end of the day, your company is an intentional community too. So there's that. Uh, then just really be a warrior of joy in, in your life. Uh, I truly believe, especially these political times, is, uh, you know, if all you contribute is is anger, you, you're just really not helping. I really believe that we are all, it's our, we all need to add joy and light into our days. Um, you know, and that's, 
you know, be a little silly, you know, like just, just add light. Um, and, and that's what my companies, I mean, Tatley, for example, is sprinkled everywhere with little joyful elements or, you know, like you can, when you check out on Tatley, you can add confetti to your order, uh, on creative mornings when you like a talk, talk, it's, it rains hearts. I mean, there's, there's so such simple ways to add a little joy to your products or your services or even just your everyday life. Do you have a superpower? Uh, Oh, yeah, right. My superpower. Thank you. Uh, yes. So I'm a big believer that you need to be super self-aware and know what your superpower is um, and know what your, let's say, your team superpowers are. And my, my personal one is enthusiasm. If I have an idea, I, I know if I truly believe in something, I can get people excited and amped about it. And I think it's one of the reasons why I've been able to build some of the things I've been able to build personal rules i love this i will steal this from you if you <laughs> allow me to <laughs> please go ahead <laughs> we're moving into the last segment of the interview and uh these are as i mentioned um questions that we ask every guest on the podcast and also in our live events that we host here in berlin and now starting also in other cities and in germany and the first one is what are three skills that you would recommend that young people early in their career start crafting and developing and evolving and mastering over time which can be ported throughout their entire career um knowing yourself i don't know if this is a skill but again self-awareness being able to really understand how you operate what fuels you where you want to go that is just number one uh two i think is kindness and empathy um You know, that gets you a long way in your in your professional life and in your personal life. And then three is just just believe in the I don't know if these are skills, but the, believe in the flow of life. Um, don't fight it. Uh, be open because sometimes you have a vision for your life, but then your life just actually delivers such bigger and more more beautiful things that you weren't prepared for and just trust it and go with it. This is the Role Models podcast. Do you have role models yourself? And if so, who is it? Oh, yeah, I do. I have a lot of them. So one of them is Ben Chestnut from MailChimp. Uh, the way he has scaled and uh, built this company uh, is something I've never seen. Um, so Ben is one of them. Uh, Maggie Doyne, who who uh, is the most remarkable person I've ever met in terms of just, she, she's love on steroids. She she adopted 52 orphans in Nepal. Um, make, look her up if you don't, if you don't know her. Um, there's a Casey Gerald who gave a talk that just touched me so deeply at Creative Mornings who sort of says purpose is the new bottom line, who really believes in leadership as a change agent. Um, there's Vicky Saunders who started CEO, who was changing the landscape for women entrepreneurs in this world. I mean, I could go on. There's so many. There's just people that operate with a sense of purpose and uh, wanting to make a change in the world. Those are the people that really get me. If we both travel back in time and back from New York City to Switzerland, to Swiss countryside, and we meet the young Tina maybe at age 14 <laughs> or 16 or 17, what advice do you give to young Tina? Uh, um, just keep listening to your heart and keep going where you think you need to go and don't hit the brakes because society thinks you need to hit the brakes. 
um, just being, just really being truthful to yourself uh, uh, is, I wish I would have heard that a bit more when I was that age. I tried to conform too much for a while. Tina, yeah. you've been very generous with your time and with your insights. And thank you for this contribution that you make to the world with your various um, businesses and creative projects and uh, and your enthusiasm. The thing I admire most about you is your maker with a huge heart. And uh, <laughs> I think that's uh, what I wanted to tell you and uh, truly a role model. And I think inspiration, just like community, is a word that is being thrown around quite a bit but you're a true inspiration it's been amazing to follow your work uh, over the years where can people find you who want to learn more about you first first of all thank you for those kind words and um you can follow me along on twitter my hashtag uh, my my twitter handle is swiss miss as the hot chocolate and and on my blog swiss-miss.com yeah those are probably the best places And then, of course, everybody check out the different businesses that Tina's, that Tina's involved with, Tatley, uh, To Do, the To Do app, and Creative Mornings, of course. Thank you so much for your time, Tina. And I hope we can do round two because I have so many more questions for you. I'm game. Thank you for having All me, right. David. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks to Tina for sharing so openly her approach to life and her work. I really admired Tina's energy and how she looks at the world and how she approaches business. Very refreshing. I hope you liked this episode and this conversation. And if you did, it would mean a lot to us if you could share this episode with your friends. We've been interacting with many of you lately on Instagram stories, which been a fun way to connect with you. So if you would like to share this episode on Instagram stories, we are at underscore role models and we'll see you there. This episode was produced with the help of Kate Lumen. And my name is David Noel. Until next time.